You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. As we continue our series uh, today, The Grace of Les Miserables, today we're talking about a tragic character in the story, the story of Fantine. Our scripture lesson today comes from Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, beginning with the 7th verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord today. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community, in any of your towns within the land that the Lord God is giving to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking, well, the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy in your land. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. About six years or so ago, I went with the youth group to Kaibato. Uh, Arizona on their mission, uh, a mission with our Navajo sisters and brothers. Uh, And let me be real for a moment. The trip didn't start well. I begrudgingly went. And it's not because I didn't want to help the poor or um, it's not my my prowess with tools and mission work. Uh, the, the, the mission was, was tucked in between two very large Methodist meetings, and I knew that I was going to be late, so I was going to have to fly out there. I knew I had to leave early, so I had to fly back, and there was just, my, my headspace wasn't where it needed to be. And have, you, have you been in that place? Like, you're a student, and it's the end of the semester, and there's a lot of assignments that are due, and you're trying to figure out which one to start, which one uh, to do next, and you check your grade to see which one you have to do at all. <laughs> Or maybe you're a CPA and it's round about like April 10th and you're looking at the calendar saying there's no way, there are not enough hours in the day to complete all of these things. Or you're in construction and you know that the, the weather is about to change so you have to get it done. If you don't get it done, then it's a lot of time wasted, a lot of money wasted. Or if you are a parent with children, that eh, Thursday, right? <laughs> there, there's varying degrees of craziness that we have to deal with. So I finally get to uh, Kaibato and uh, our mission, uh, my mission there on the mission is to pass out water uh, for a couple of reasons. One, hydration is very important. Uh, two, it is, its importance is only eclipsed by my inability to work with any tools. So they keep me very far away from any kind of tools at all. The trip was hectic. It was my first time being there. I didn't quite know what to do. I didn't quite know what to expect. I was asked to be a leader in a place I'd never been. So there was anxiety. There was pressure. But then, 
But then there was beauty. At the end of the trip, we all gather at Horseshoe Bend. And there is where we have a closing worship service. You have a naming ceremony. And beauty, beauty is the antidote to a lot of ills. Having that last night with the youth group covered a lot of what I thought were faults and failures, inabilities to lead. It was beauty. There was beauty. But not every story ends in great beauty. There's a character in Les Miserables that affects everyone in the story, and this character does not have a proper name. This character arguably is more powerful than war, more inspiring than speech, more deadly than disease, and the character is poverty. This great human invention of poverty. Every character in this story relates to poverty in a different way. Valjean becomes exceedingly generous. Javert, the police chief, the, the police chief keeps it at bay and thinks that those who are poor deserve it. The Thenardiers, the innkeepers, they try to escape poverty through deception and ill gains. The students of the uprising embrace poverty as a temporary friend. And then there's Fantine, the ingenue at the beginning of the story. And poverty absolutely destroys her. Early in the story, Fantine represents romanticism. Everything is beautiful. She has fallen in love with a French aristocrat named Felix. They spend a summer together. He spent a summer by my side. Right? It was hopeful. It was beautiful. And then Felix discover, discovers that Fantine is with child. So what does Felix do? Disappears. He disappears from the story and Fantine gives birth to Cosette. And she doesn't know what to do. Being an unwed mother in French Revolution times is basically a death sentence. So she gives Cosette to the Thenardiers, the innkeeper and his wife. And if we have a problem with that, then we need to take that up with Moses' mother, Jacobed, who put Moses in a basket on the Nile and prayed his way to the palace. And she goes and she works in a factory. And at this factory, it's discovered, well, the foreman at the factory wants to have his way with Fantine, and she constantly resists his advances. And there's an assumption that, that she is pure and that she just doesn't enjoy the company of men, and then he finds out that she has a child. So he calls her a whore and kicks her out of the factory. So now she's on the streets. She sells her hair to make ends meet. The Thenardiers are extorting her. There's not enough money for the medicine that they say Cosette needs. So she sells her hair 
She sells her teeth. She sells herself. And then after a night of violence, she dies. I've heard it said that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I'm here to tell you that that is not true. Poverty destroyed her. It was not God who created a system of shame for unwed mothers. People did that. It was not God who said, you must sell your teeth. It was the pimps who did that. It was not God who said, you can't care for your child. There's not enough to go around. No, it was the Tenardiers who extorted her. But I'm also not here to defend God. If the Psalms teach us anything, the Psalms give us permission to with a clenched fist, shake our fist at the heavens, saying, tears have been my food day and night. People ask me, where is your God? And yet, God continues to love us. Poverty doesn't have to be. Now, while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw this, they were angry, and they said, why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? She has performed a good service for me, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. She will be remembered forever for this gesture. Though she goes unnamed, so even the gospel authors might still have some work to do in their remembrance of the story. But she has this great act of devotion to Jesus. And the disciples are angry. They said, why are you wasting this ointment? This could have been sold and given to the poor. And yes, they're correct. But here's the problem. None of them offered to sell their goods and give to the poor. None of them offered to say, oh, well, let's, let's match this gift and give the equivalent of this fine ointment to the poor. They didn't bother selling their things, but they were very bothered by how someone else was using their gifts. That's the lesson. They seem very concerned how this woman was using her wealth to aid the poor. But no one stepped up and said, I'll give. I'll match the gift. I'll offer myself. So Jesus says, leave her alone. The poor will always be with you. And this sounds like Jesus is being selfish or like, look, she's serving me now, guys. So like lay off of her. Like this is really benefiting me. The poor, is gonna, the poor will always be with you. Until you realize that Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting the law, which says, if there is anyone among you in need, a member of your community, in your town, or within the land that God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do it. That's 
Do you hear how the disciples were very grudgingly? <laughs> they were holding a grudge in the moment. The law says to give liberally and be ungrudging when you do. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and your needy neighbor in your land. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do. Open your hand to the poor. I love that as we United Methodists, we are a people of the word and. We are an and people. We've been starting, we've been talking about this at starting line uh, at nine o'clock. I would love for you to join us. Nine o'clock, we sit right over here. If you come early, you'll see us wrapping up. Uh, we talk about what it means to be United Methodist, what it means to be connected here at Asbury. We are a people of and. We are a people of mercy and a people of justice. We feed the hungry and ask why they are hungry to begin with. Several years ago, someone called me in the narthex and said, Preacher, you talk a lot about feeding people, but you don't talk a lot about teaching people to feed themselves. And then he gave me the, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And I said, you're not wrong. Except if the guy who owns the lake doesn't let you fish in it, then all of that education is for nothing. We are an and people. Yes, we feed people and we teach them to fish. And we go to the lake house and have dinner with the guy who owns the lake and says, hey, why don't we make this accessible to all, to more? Let's use it. We go to the lake house and we remind him that it is the Lord who filled the lake with the rains from the heavens. It is the Lord who called the fish to maturity. Hmm. We are a people of and. Friends, we are hosting this Les Miserables uh, worship series because several months ago we offered a survey of, hey, what do you want to think about? What are you thinking about in 2024? What are you looking for? And your number one missional concern was poverty. Your concern was how we are reaching those who are less fortunate than we. Yes, it is about money. It is about buying red beans and rice next week to sponsor us to go to Arizona. It is stepping up for the Katie Build. There's a Katie Build meeting uh, later this afternoon about building a home for a veteran. Yes, it is about trying our new fancy kiosk. Have you seen it? Our kiosk that's in the, the Narthex. You can, you can try that out and give toward mission today. You can play with it. Yes, it is about these things, but... Nothing will change until we change our minds about the poor. If we continue to see the poor as other or less than, or as Jafar, Jafar? That's a whole different franchise. <laughs> but same these, I guess. I guess Jafar would have the same, the same attitude. Javert. <laughs> Anyways. I can show you the world. Now I'm on a very different place in my head. Um, Javert thinks that the poor deserve it until we change our mind or metanoia, which means to repent. Unless we change our mind and our thinking, unless we see that the poor have value and that they are brothers and sisters with us, then all the money in the world is not going to matter. If we also don't see them as human beings. 
deserving of love and care. We will never sacrificially give if we see the less fortunate as not divinely deserving of their own humanity. If we let Felix go home to his estate and blame Fantine for her irresponsibility and her immorality, then there is little hope for us as followers of Jesus. Sam Wells, who is the former dean of the Duke Chapel, he's now at St. Martin in the Field uh, in Trafalgar Square, tells a fantastic story in his book, Improvisation, the Drama of Christian Ethics. There was a priest who had a furniture shop, and this priest would hire thieves in his workshop to teach them a trade. And then they would gift furniture to people in the community that needed it. Well, one day, the priest saw that there was a woman who lived nearby the shop who only had a mattress. So he gathered the thieves together and said, let's make furniture for her. And they did. And they delivered the furniture to the house, but the house was locked. And there was no way to come in, to get into the home. So the priest invited one of the thieves, who had been arrested for breaking and entering, because I have a job for you. And he broke into the home. They filled the home with furniture. And as they were leaving, the woman came. And she was brought to tears because no one had ever been so kind to her. But the thief who broke into the home was crying as well. And the priest asked him, why are you crying? Because I'd never been given the opportunity to make someone happy. Could it be that even thieves have a role to play in God's story? What part of Les Miserables are you not picking up yet? <laughs> Another story, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner... Having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to bathe Jesus' feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. She continued kissing his feet, which is a no-no, and anointing his feet with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this, if this man was a prophet, he would know who this woman was and what kind of woman this woman is, who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. So Jesus said, a, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them could pay, so he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see her? Do you even see her? I entered your home. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed her feet 
with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven because she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Let us be people of great love. Let us serve and marvel and change our minds. Let us give people fish. Let us teach people how to fish. And let us go to the lake house and remind him that it is God who fills the lake. In much the same way that it is God who would allow a river to flow for millions of years, perhaps just for a single moment of beauty that might change a single attitude. Could it be that even we have a role to play in ending this great human invention of poverty? Could it be that our heart is stirring today so that we might recognize that things don't have to be this way? It sounds like a big deal. If I challenge you, we're going to end poverty in Bossier City. Until we realize, and I've told this story before, several years ago, as an intern in Divinity School, we studied homelessness. And we did the math. And I'm terrible at math. <laughs> we sat down and did the math. And if every church in Durham, North Carolina, foot the bill for 2.3 people, then there would be no homeless in the city. If people of faith, who claimed a faith community, would step up and take care of 2.3 people annually, there would be no homeless in the city. What a vision of the kingdom of God. And even that might sound like a lot until we realize the amount of money that it took to house two people a year was roughly how much blue paper we were using annually in the copy room. This is not unattainable. When we change our minds, when we meet metanoia, when we repent, when we look at the world to see others' humanity, when we understand that this invention does not have to be. But until then, we pray, we struggle, we strive to be a people of and, so that as we pray daily in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if there are poor and homeless in heaven, then call me a liar. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.